Uh, I have just a few words to share with you guys this morning. It's been a little bit more than a month that we've been spending our Sundays learning about what the Apostle Paul was thinking when he said that it should be the goal of the church to present all Christians as fully mature in Christ. That's the way the NIV renders Colossians 1.28. And I really wanted to emphasize that word fully because maturity is a multifaceted process. And until we are successfully engaged in each one of those facets, we aren't really making progress in our quest to be fully mature. It reminds me on this Father's Day a little bit of fatherhood. Because as dads, our goal is to cultivate children who aren't just a little bit mature or mature in some areas but not others. Our goal is to cultivate children who become fully mature. As our kids reach adulthood, it doesn't matter how tall they are or how thick their beard grows. That's a strong beard game, by the way, Brian. I just went big props on that. It doesn't matter how that works out for our kids if they don't know how to tie their shoes or if they cry when they don't get their way. I will be a proud, proud dad if Tyler graduates from high school with a good, mature grasp of American history and chemistry and things like that. But I will be less proud if he is at that point still drinking apple juice from a sippy cup or calling his classmates poopy heads. Right? The goal is to address all aspects of maturity because we want to see our children become fully Mature, And that's what the Bible says about followers of Christ. The Holy Spirit wants us to become fully mature. We spent a couple of weeks, a few weeks ago, talking about the words of warning that the Bible has for those who fail to address the maturity of their minds by failing to develop a proper, truthful understanding of God's Word. We said that having a mature mind means developing a robust and a very accurate theology. And then we spent a couple of weeks listening to some of the warnings that the Bible has for those who fail to address the maturity of their habits by embracing a lifestyle that's contradictory to what they say they believe about the kingdom of God. We said the development of mature habits means the cultivation of the classic spiritual disciplines, the things that for centuries Christians have realized uh, helps us cultivate that, that mature habit that goes with being fully mature. Now today I'm going to turn our attention toward a, a different facet of being fully mature. I want to talk about something that, that I'm going to call having a mature heart. I believe that a mature heart is a heart like Jesus' heart. We can think of it as, as wanting what Jesus wants, as, as loving what Jesus loves, as conducting ourselves with Christ-like attitude and Christ-like character. And just like a mature mind or mature habits, a mature heart is an essential component for anyone who wants to become fully mature. Jesus had some pretty sobering interactions with people who lacked mature hearts, and I'm going to turn your attention to one of those stories today. I'll be reading from Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 17. The word says this, As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. 
You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. I want to pause the story right there just for a moment. Teacher, all these I have kept since I was a boy. This man, let's, let's describe him here. Let's unpack this man. We don't know much about his background, just kind of based on this, this one little interaction he has with Jesus. I would argue it seems that he's already working on the maturity of his mind. He understands the promise of eternal life. He seems to have some understanding that, that Jesus is the steward of this promise. He, he, we can't say that he's any great theologian, but he seems to have at this point at least a basic understanding that the maturity of the mind is an important thing. I would argue it seems that he also has developed mature habits. He's fashioned a lifestyle that is consistent with what Scripture teaches. So he has a mature mind. He has mature habits. Now look how Jesus responds to him. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Someday I want to preach a whole sermon just on that verse. But today can't be that day. I love that response. Jesus looked at him and before he said anything to him, before he spoke to him, Jesus just loved him. But then he spoke. One thing you lack, he said. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. But at this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Something's missing in this story. Something is lacking in the man's story. And although the text of the Bible never explains it, explicitly to us, I believe that it has to do with his heart, specifically a, his immature heart, a heart that doesn't match the heart of Jesus very well. Uh, before I dive in and really tear that apart, though, I want to tell you quickly what this story is not. This story is not a teaching about how some people aren't allowed to follow Jesus, about how some people aren't, aren't good enough to draw close to him or, or to learn from him. This is not a story about somebody who wasn't allowed to become a Christian because they hadn't met the prerequisites. The Bible is clear that there are no prerequisites, that God's gift of salvation is made freely to all people, regardless of their past, regardless of their circumstances. So that is certainly something that this story is not. It's important for us to remember that this man didn't ask about beginning a Christian life. Do you recall his question? He said, what must I do to inherit in eternal life? He wasn't asking about how do I begin to follow you? He was asking about the reward that comes at the culmination of the Christian life. In essence, his question shows us that he wanted to skip over the process of developing spiritual maturity. He wanted to go right to the part where we reap the reward for full maturity. It's like if you made an appointment with your financial advisor and you went in and said, you know, I've been looking at my finances and, and considering what lies ahead. And I think this next year is the year that I need to start making withdrawals from my 401k. I would like to start tapping into my 401k. I'm approaching retirement. I would like to do that now. Tell me what paperwork I need to sign and we need to work out so that I can start drawing income from my 401k. It would be like if you did that and your financial advisor said, you can't do that 
debt? And you said, why not? And your financial advisor said, because you never set up a 401k. You never made any deposits. You had all the paperwork, but you never put any money in. Don't come into my office and ask me about taking withdrawals on what you never started in the first place. This story is a story about a man who wanted to lay claim to the blessings of full maturity. But Jesus had to point out the ways in which he wasn't fully mature. There are a few tough lessons here that we need to take note of. And the first one is a lesson that almost all of us have learned as teenagers, though most of us had to learn it again and again and again before we fully figured it out. The lesson is this, puppy love doesn't last unless it matures. Pastor Dan, why are you talking about puppy love this morning? Well, puppy love doesn't last unless it matures. We're talking about maturity of the heart here and any discussion about the heart of Jesus begins and ends with a discussion about love. The problem is that an immature concept of love never gets us very far because puppy love doesn't last unless it matures. 1984, I saw the movie The Karate Kid in the theaters for the the very first one with Daniel Sun and Mr. Miyagi and Wax On and Wax Off and the crane kick at the end, you know the one I'm talking about, right? I saw the movie The Karate Kid in 1984 and I fell in love. Her name was Elizabeth, Elizabeth Shue. She played the lead role, you know, the, the romantic lead. She was the Karate Kid's girlfriend. And some of you will remember that the Karate Kid's name was Daniel. And so in the film, when she said, oh, to Daniel. Somebody related. I knew she was talking about me. I knew she was talking about, she had those gorgeous blonde curls and I was in love. I was in love. I was certain that Elizabeth and I were going to run away together and go to the golf and stuff, just like she did with Daniel's son, and then someday we would get married. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I, I was pretty sure that's how that was going to go, though. Alas, it was not to be. My, my love for her, uh, pure as it was, was, was ultimately insufficient. And, uh, you know, over the years, we, we, we both moved on. She moved on because she had no idea who I was, and she went on to make other movies. I moved on because later that year, I discovered a show called Who's the Boss, starring Alyssa Milano, playing the role of Samantha. And once again, I was in love. She could be my boss. See, puppy love is an intense emotion, but it lacks staying power, doesn't it? It doesn't seem like it at the time. At the time, it feels really intense. It feels like this is forever. This is the real thing. But all of us who are mature have learned that it will not last unless it matures into something quite different. And in the same way, our commitment to the heart of Jesus It needs to grow and mature over time if it's going to survive. Otherwise, it just moves on to something else. We, We say, oh, no, 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 but you don't understand. I am intensely in love with my Savior. That's good. That's fine. But let that love mature or it's not going to last. 
Let that love grow into something different than what it is now. Not that what it is now is wrong, but let it mature into something more beautiful than what it is now. Because what it is now, no matter how intense it might feel, it's not going to last. When challenged, the man who met Jesus said, Teacher, all of these I have kept since I was a boy. Do you see what he's doing? He's appealing to the way in which he first expressed his devotion to God back when he was a child. But he's not a child anymore. He's, he's a young man. His love should have matured. His love for God should look different. Obedience, of course, it's a good thing. But there's a maturity of heart that goes far beyond childlike obedience and just following the rules. It takes time and it takes effort to cultivate that kind of maturity. And this man lacked it. Love at first sight, we say. Love at first sight. Well, that may well be a very, very valid experience. But here's the thing I want to point out today. Love at first sight, whether it's real or not, you're allowed to believe whatever you want. I'm not going to ask anybody to raise their hands unless we have some problems here on this Father's Day. But whether it's, uh, whether it's actual or not, whether it's real or not, I would submit to you is ultimately irrelevant. Because what's far more important than love at first sight is the emotional maturity that cultivates love at the tenth sight and the hundredth sight and the thousandth sight and the millionth sight. That's something quite, quite different, isn't it? So the important question for us isn't so much whether or not we love Jesus, it's whether or not our heart is growing and maturing to love like Jesus loved. The Apostle Paul had a famous discussion on the perfection of love. We read it in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and in that discussion he says this, when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. What's he talking about there? He's talking about having a mature heart. There is a maturity of the heart that far exceeds what juvenile hearts are capable of. Loving what Jesus loved in a manner that reflects how Jesus loved will that requires just that kind of mature heart and immature puppy love might feel nice, but it just won't do. And one of the reasons for that is that an immature heart is a fickle heart. It goes from Elizabeth Shue to Alyssa Milano. And I could keep going on this list, but I need to not. <laughs> For many, many reasons. But an immature heart is, it's a fickle heart, isn't it? It wants what it wants with a deep, deep sincerity of passion. But those passions are prone to change at a moment's notice. The objects of its passion can, can change back and forth. And back again, with, without warning or reason even, really. And the passions combine, they disintegrate, and then they recombine again without any logic or warning. That's just how immaturity works. Let me give you an example. Ask a five-year-old boy what he wants as the theme for his birthday party, and he's likely to tell you he wants dinosaurs and cowboys. But a week later, he might just want rescue heroes. And then he might want them all. 
but those things don't go together at a party. Ask him what he wants to eat at his birthday party, and maybe he'll tell you that he would like chicken nuggets with peanut butter. Ask him what he wants to do at his party, and he's prone to tell you that he would like to go down a water slide and then go ice skating, and you can't do that at the same place. These things don't work together, but when we're young, when our hearts are immature, we want this and that and this and that, and ooh, look at that over there. I want some of that too. Uh, when I was a teenager, uh, junior higher actually, I went away to piano camp in the summers. Sound exciting? Well, let me tell you it was. Yeah, uh, I did a music camp at the University of Michigan and all we young piano players got together and we lived in the dorms for a couple of weeks and we ate in the cafeteria and I can remember going through the cafeteria, you know, 11, 12 years old with my tray in front of me and they'd put, you know, give us the food and whatnot and then they'd give you a glass that you could go in the seating area, they had the, you know, the, for the sodas. What do you call this thing? Fountain? Yeah, that was a hard word for me to come up with. <laughs> We're gonna call it the fountain, but you know, you get to pick your soda and you get to fill it with any soda. You could, you could have Coke, you could have Sprite, you could have root beer, right? You could have Dr. Pepper, you could have anything you want. I was 11. You know what me and my 11 year old buddies did when we got to the soda machine? Well, you're all nodding because you did it too. <laughs> so don't judge. A little bit of Coke, splash of Coke, a little Diet Coke, because it gotta be healthy, right? <laughs> A little bit of Sprite, a little orange soda, a little root beer, a little Dr. Pepper, a little mellow yellow, because it was the 80s, and you do your mellow yellow in the 80s, but we didn't stop there because right next to the soda fountain was the juice fountain. So you put a little orange juice in there, you put a little cranberry juice in there, you put a little apple juice in there, but you're not done with that because right next to that was the milk machine, so you top it off with a little 2%. Don't judge. Don't judge. Oh, it was so gross. It was so gross, but we were 11 and we liked doing it. We didn't want to choose just one pop. We wanted all of the pops. Immature hearts have trouble concentrating on just one thing, but maturity brings our heart into a singular focus. That's what maturity does. It brings that, that fickle heart and it gives it a singular focus. Can I tell you this, and it's, it's why some people stumble with the story I read from Scripture a few moments ago. Nothing in the Bible actually suggests that in order to go to heaven, you have to sell all your possessions and give everything to the poor. When Jesus gives that response, some of us are like, wait a minute, <laughs> time out. I haven't heard that anywhere else. Why did he say that? It's, why? It's because Jesus understood that this man's immature heart was trying to Focus on the kingdom of heaven and the riches of this world. He was trying to pour all of that into the same glass. He was trying to focus on the kingdom of heaven and the riches of the world. And Jesus is saying, yeah, you can't do that. You can't do that. You can't do both. Earlier, some time earlier, Jesus had told another story. Maybe this man heard it, maybe he didn't. It was a story that Jesus told, a hypothetical, a teaching story, a parable about a farmer gathering, or I'm sorry, spreading seed. The story was an illustration about how a lot of people hear the gospel, but it doesn't take root the same way in everybody's life. In the story, some of the seed that the farmer scattered landed in, in very good cultivated soil and it took root and it grew into mature crops. 
But in the story, there was other seed that fell among the briars, and it took root. It could grow a little bit, but it was eventually choked out by the weeds before it could actually grow into full maturity. And Jesus said that the thing about the seed among the briars is that it's like people who hear the word, and I'm going to quote to you exactly what he said now. He said they hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. I think it would be fair for us to take that word unfruitful and, and use the synonym immature. It, 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 the worries, these other focuses, foci, if you will, that we have in life, right? They, they come in and, and, and they prevent us from ever becoming mature because our immature hearts, we say, well, I have good theology, I have a mature mind. Yeah, but you have an immature heart. You say, I, I have good habits, I'm a very disciplined follower. Of well, yeah, but you have these other concerns because your heart is still very immature. And so these other things come and choke the word out and you'll never reach full maturity that way. The distractions of an unfocused, immature heart sabotage the process of maturity. And that's really the essence of the warning that Jesus has for us. Like so many passages that we've examined in recent weeks, this isn't good-natured advice. This isn't feel-good sermons that I'm, I'm preaching here. These aren't happy words of encouragement. This is an alarm call. It's a warning that needs to be taken very, very seriously. And Jesus wants us to understand that immature hearts are bound for pain and suffering. That's the future of an immature heart, pain and suffering. That's certainly how Jesus' encounter with the man in the story ended. That last line tells it. It says that at this the man's face fell and he went away sad. This was not a happy ending story. It was an, a story about an immature heart. And the end of the story doesn't leave us with a sense of joy. In our culture, I've noticed that the world tends to actually romanticize immaturity. The world thinks an immature, immature heart is a very, very good thing. The world says, ignorance is bliss. But we've already heard Jesus warn us about the dangers of having immature minds. The world celebrates the, the carefree innocence of children. Do what you want. But Jesus warns us about the dangers of having immature habits. And here we are once again, Recognizing that while the world would say, well, follow your heart and you'll always find happiness. Jesus says, no, following an immature heart is actually going to bring you pain and, and suffering and sadness. About 65 years after Jesus had this encounter with the man in our story, there was another man by the name of John. He had a vision in which the Holy Spirit asked him to write seven short letters to seven different churches. One of those seven churches seemed to be suffering from what I would call an immature heart, just like this man that Jesus had met. And listen to what their letter said. I'm reading now from Revelation chapter 2, verse 2. It's the letter to the church in Ephesus. The Holy Spirit says this, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. Can I pause? In other words, the Holy Spirit is saying, I know that you have mature habits. You guys are doing, you're doing all the things. 
You're checking all the boxes. You're doing the right things. Then he says, I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people and that you have tested those who claim to be apostles, but are not. And you found out that they were false. In other words, these are my words now. The Holy Spirit saying, I know that not only do you have mature habits, you also have mature minds. You understand my word well enough to have figured out who's telling the truth and who's not. Mature habits and mature minds. And then look at what the Holy Spirit says. I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. In other words, the Holy Spirit said, you had puppy love, but it never grew into anything else. It never matured beyond that. And now here's the warning. The Holy Spirit says, if you do not repent, I will come to you and I will remove your lampstand from its place. As we endeavor to follow Jesus, we need to be very, very attentive to the maturity of our hearts. Are our hearts being renovated and transformed so that they look more and more and more like the heart of Jesus? Are we growing to love like he loves, to find joy in what pleases him, to focus every part of our lives wholly and singularly on our Savior? Or have we tried to practice a faith that submits mind and habit to the authority of God, but leaves the heart behind? Oh, it's, it's a dangerous question, isn't it? It's a tricky one, and I'm suspicious that in our culture, in our society, we're especially prone. We're especially prone because for many of us, it's very easy to focus on the tasks. It's very easy for us to focus on the data. It's very easy for us to focus on the, as the man did, just tell me what I got to do. Just tell me what I got to do. And the response of the Holy Spirit today, certainly the response of Jesus on that day, I think is, I I can't. I can't tell you what you've got to do because it's it's not about what you've got to do. It's who you've got to be. And the people like me in the room are like, oh my goodness, is this Oprah or church? No, come on, give me something I can sink my teeth into. And the Holy Spirit says, it's it's just going to take time. Oh, we're not good at that. We're not good at that. The Holy Spirit says, but it's okay. It's okay. It's just going to take time. When I was in high school, taking my my piano lessons, um, I learned to play the first movement of a particular sonata by Beethoven. And it wasn't one of the more famous ones. It wasn't one that a lot of people who aren't in classical music would recognize uh, just by, by hearing it the first time. It was one that he wrote very, very late in his life. A lot of us will know that he suffered with, with hearing loss. and it's, it's a very intense, emotional piece of music. 
it's technically actually quite difficult, and so it took me a long time to learn how to play it. But when I learned how to play it, I was, <laughs> I was pretty proud of myself. I sent a recording to Elizabeth Shue. No, 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 I didn't do that. <laughs> I didn't do that. No, I, I used it as, as one of the audition pieces that I had to play when it was time to audition to go to college because I felt like this, this is pretty impressive. Most 17-year-olds are, are not playing this particular piece of music. And so I, I used it as an audition piece when I, I went to went to college um, and I got into to school and uh, I remember early on in my freshman year talking with my piano teacher and I was like, so that uh, at Beethoven, that was pretty good, right? And I remember he said, no. <laughs> and I was like, what? And he's like, he goes, Dan, you, you, you shouldn't have played that piece. I said, well, are you kidding me? I killed it. Like, seriously, what's the problem here? And he said, you're not ready. You weren't ready then. And I said, well, let me play it for you now. He said, no, you're not ready now. I remember having this argument with him, which parenthetically is, you know, not the best idea. <laughs> but I, I, I said, what did I play wrong? You know, let's go get the recordings, man. Like, tell me, where was the wrong note? And he's like, you didn't play the wrong notes. Well, then what's the stinking problem? If I could get all the way through that from beginning to end without playing a single wrong note, I mean, that's, that's kind of the job, dude. And he's like, no, no. You just, he goes, you're too young. You're just not ready. And I didn't get it. And I didn't agree. Yeah. I didn't agree. I thought he was trying to, you know, like, tear me down and build me up or something. I don't know. It was a very, very unsatisfying, frustrating answer. But I remember coming back to that particular piece of music several years later, after not having played it for many years and you know, opening the music and, and sitting down, and once again, kind of re-familiarizing my fingers with the notes and the chords and just kind of blowing the rust off of it a little bit. And I remember doing that and suddenly my heart said, oh, that's what he meant. Feel it. And I apologize because I don't think I have any better words than that to describe the experience today. Other than to say there was a point in my life where I could be technically proficient with a particular piece of music, but I was just too young. My heart was too young. It was too immature. It wasn't right. And I feel like there's places like that in our spiritual lives sometimes when we tell God, you know, I prayed for 25 minutes. And I, didn't, I didn't, like, you know, forget once. I didn't fall asleep through church in over a month. Uh, I tithe. You know, I did, I did all of the things. I've been studying. I'm learning. I, could, <laughs> I need to end the service here. Pastor Brian and I were at the same meeting uh, about, uh, several months ago, 
where your daughter. Oh, yeah. we, so we were at this meeting, and, and during one of the breaks, there's you know several hundred pastors in the room, but his daughter had come with, and they they started doing an online trivia game where you play with your phone or you know, whatever, and everybody would do. His daughter won the trivia game. You know, there's like 300 pastors in the room. It was Bible trivia. <laughs> Bible trivia. <laughs> and they get to the end, and they're like, and the winner is, and they just call out, like, somebody's internet handle, and she's like, woo <laughs> I mean, that was a sad day, brother. That was, a, that was a really sad day. But she needs to hear this. She's not ready yet. She's going to be smarter than everybody else in the room. Right, right, tell her that. Maybe she'll buy it. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there where you knew all the things and you'd done all the things, but the Holy Spirit said, let's just take some time. No, God, I want to move forward. I want to do the next great thing. And the Holy Spirit said, no. You're just, you're just, just not ready yet. Oh, my child, I love you so much. You're going to be ready. You're going to be ready, but it's going to be in my time. Let me, let me cultivate your heart. Would you make that your prayer today? Bow your heads with me. Father, thank you so much for telling us no sometimes. Thank you so much for telling us just wait. Thank you so much for not sending us out into the world with immature hearts. Man, we, we need to hear that sometimes. Lord, I rejoice in, in being in a room like this one where I'm surrounded with mature minds. Man, there are some sharp cookies in this room, let me tell you. And I know that there are mature habits, there are mature believers who, who live a life Worthy of the name Jesus. Lord, let us not in, in all of that, um, let us not forget about our hearts. But I pray, Lord, that you would slowly and carefully and lovingly cultivate mature hearts in us. Help us to be partners in that process. Oh, the last thing we want to do is use it as an excuse not to move forward. But Lord, we want to be partners in that process. We don't want to be guilty of, of puppy love that goes here and there and can't even focus and, and doesn't know what it's doing. But Lord, we, we want to have mature hearts. We want to have hearts that, dear Jesus, love what you love the way you love it. We want to have attitudes and character that looks like you. May it be said of us that when we speak, when we interact, when we do whatever it is we do in the world, that the people of the world would take note of the fact that we have spent time with Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. And everybody says, amen. amen.